Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. We're in our fourth week of our series, uh, Focus. And uh, uh, this, our text today, if you'd open your Bibles, is Colossians 2, 8 through 12. Now, uh, let me just give you again a little bit of background. The book of Colossians, as we've already stated, is about the preeminence, is a word we would use, or, or another word we would use is the supremacy of Christ. And as we read the, through the book of Colossians, we will come across words, uh, these, these three in particular that have to do with my message today, but the words, if you, if you even want to do this as an exercise, go through all Colossians and look for the word all, look for the word filled and also fullness. Look for those words in there because it's, it's this idea of this all-encompassing uh, uh, Christ doctrine that we really need to grasp in all of this. And Paul's real theme is found in chapter 3, verse 11, where he says Christ is all in all. And that, that kind of seals the deal, doesn't it, right there? So, and, uh, and also in verse 10, uh, which we're going to read today, we are told that we are made full in Christ. We are made full in Christ. So He's all in all, and then we have the and all the fullness of the Godhead or the deity is in Christ. But then it kind of switches gears, and all of a sudden we're learning that all of that fullness has been invested in us. I mean, you know, that just is a crazy thought if you think about it. And so, since we are um, full in Christ, then Christ is all we need. He really is, and I think that that's kind of where, where a lot of what Brent was saying just a moment ago really was, was wrapping around this idea. He's, he's everything we need. We don't need anything else. We need Christ. And uh, so, so then Paul deals with things like legalism, man-made philosophies, uh, strict diets, compulsory observance of holy days, um, discipline of the flesh. All these things have to go when Christ is given that place of preeminence and dominance in our lives. So Colossians is a letter pleading for spiritual maturity among the saints in Jesus' name. Are you with me? So let's get after our text now, and uh, we'll read verses 8 through 12. (coughs) See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ... All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Would you say those three words? Brought to fullness. That's the title of our message today. He is the head over every power and authority. In Him, you... This is where it starts to get... Are you serious right now? In Him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision. In other words, you were opened yourself up to, to receive from the Lord, not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by flesh, was put off when you were circumcised in Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through your faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the dead. Wow, there's so much. You know, five verses, and we, just, we could go, as usual, we could go on at great length with much of this. But I hope to just bring this idea of fullness forward in our thinking and hearts today. Are you ready to do that? 
Let's start by praying. Would you just pray for me physically right now that I'd be able to deliver this in Jesus' name? Lord, I pray that uh, your grace would be upon us all, that the preaching of your word would be uh, surrounded by the very presence of the Holy Spirit that we have just felt. And Lord, let us also recognize that the Spirit's location is not afar off. We're not asking you to come from afar, but to be present because you are right here already in all of us. So God, you're working from the inside out in each and every heart today as we preach your word. Thank you for that. And I pray your blessings would be upon us in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. So uh, as I already have stated, I had kind of a crazy week. And uh, it, it actually, um, we t- Ron and I took Monday off, which was a holiday, and we took the day off. And it's a project we've been wanting to do in our home for a long time. We, we have Formica countertops in our kitchen because because granite and all that stuff is like way too expensive. <laughs> it's beautiful, but it's like, oh, you got to be kidding me. So, so we have Formica, and that's okay. We, we, we like that. And, uh, but our Formica was quite old, and it was time to replace it. There were some issues with it. So we began to work on that. And as I started to work on Monday, this is when the coughing and the sneezing and all the junk started settling in. And by the end of the day, I was feeling pretty bad. And I was telling somebody earlier, I, I, I can't remember since I started pastoring this church taking three sick days off in a row. I was just wasn't here all week. I just stayed home. And uh, but anyway, but so then the next morning, Tuesday morning, I started to study. And as I was trying to read the Bible and read the Word of God and do my studies, my normal due diligence when I preach, I was really fuzzy headed, and I just couldn't make sense out of the thoughts that I was having. I couldn't concentrate. And later in the week, it occurred to me maybe smelling uh, contact cement for like eight hours straight in my house had something to do with the fuzzy-headed part of it. It just, uh, that thought went through my head. But anyway, so uh, come Friday, I was feeling a little bit better. And uh, my, my good friend, Pastor Jerry Beebe, he had, we had talked a while back and he said he had a light fixture he needed help with. And I've told him in the past, you know, I, I'd love to help you any way I can. And, and so he said, would you, would you be willing to come hang this light fixture for me? I said, sure. Well, apparently my fuzzy headedness began to follow me into what should have been a very simple task for me. So I go to his house and I'm on the ladder and I, I get up in there and I get the box all ready and I get the wires all, you know, we turned off the breaker first just in case you're wondering. But uh, I can see you all wondering, is he? Yeah. I know what I'm doing somewhat. <laughs> anyway, so I get up there and I get to working on it and I put the wire nuts all on and then I'm, I'm looking and I'm thinking, no, that's not right because what I had done, there's a little bar in there that holds the weight of the fixture and I had run the wires like around it and that, it would have been okay, but it wasn't the right way to do it. So I undid the wire nuts, I moved them where they needed to be, I connected them, stuffed them up in the box and started to hang this this kind of a pendulum looking thing that was going to be the, and, and then it dawns on me, there's also this big plate that was supposed to be already on there. So I, I had to take it all apart again and put this big round, you know, thing that, like, that's over, or that would go against the ceiling to, to hide the box, right? So this is my third time taking these wire nuts off, pull it all down, put the plate on there, and it's really hard because it's, it's tight work trying to get up, and I get it all, and I run the wires through the hole again, and I put the wire nuts on, and I'm pretty excited, <coughs> excuse me, and I go to put that plate up and hold it up there, and then I let it go, and it just drops, and I realize there's supposed to be a nut on there as well. <laughs> I take it all apart again, <laughs> and Jerry's over there thinking, yeah, you know what you're doing, right? <laughs> 
you have no idea. And so, so anyway, finally I put all the pieces in as they were supposed to be and tightened it all up and it, and it, it turned out great and, and uh, I was the hero of the day uh, at the end of the day. But, but it just, you know, it just was an example of how fuzzy-headed I was all this week. And so, uh, so I just, I just want to say that if there's anything intelligible in this sermon today, it's because the Holy Spirit is here and helping, amen? <laughs> it reminds me of the fact that I started out this life with nothing, and I still have most of it left, you know? <laughs> That's the truth right there. So, so even though I, we may feel empty-headed at different times and not up to the task or whatever, um, our goal is to be full of Jesus and full of the Spirit. Would you agree with that? And so I'm working on that, and you, you're working on that. And what is true of believers, in fact, is not always true in practice, because the Bible declares things about us that we don't always live out fully and completely. Does that kind of make sense? And so this idea of fullness, even though the Bible declares we're full in Christ, we still feel empty at times, don't we? Are you with me? Okay. So I want to start out today with the problem. I want to help describe the problem, and then we're going to talk about the solution. The Colossians were in danger of falling captive to, to philosophies that were hollow and worldly kinds of thinking that was going to draw them off course, in, and the damage could have been severe if the church in that particular region had gotten so far off course because it would as you might imagine this polluted gospel would have went out so paul is writing and he's trying to correct them and getting them back on course and listen so it's this the word of philosophy in there and and it's not all philosophy is wrong if you're a philosophy major uh, i'm not putting down the whole uh area of study that's philosophy but but sometimes some philosophy is deceitful and it's, it's all show, it's empty. It's like that milk jug you come to in the fridge and you pick it up thinking, I'm going to have some cereal and you lift it up and there's like nothing in there, right? It's an empty, there's a promise of milk for your cereal, but there's nothing there. And so that, that's a problem. It has an appearance on the outside that looks good, but it actually is empty. There's a lot of foods that have empty calories. Those are my favorite foods. And it seems like you're eating food when you eat them, but in fact, we all know it does you no good at the end of the day. In fact, it's probably done some harm. So in the same way, there's these hollow and deceptive philosophies that are likely going to do us harm. The hidden danger here is this, because philosophies, these, these human philosophies, they come from humans, and we're all humans, so when humans spout philosophies and we hear them, because we're human, we, sometimes it resonates with us. Do you hear what I'm saying? It was kind of like, oh, yeah, that, that seems to make sense. And it's based on a human way of thinking. And ultimately, if I could be so bold as to say, we end up deceived by it. There's, there's, you know, like when you look on, if you look on Facebook or you see anything with memes, okay, memes sometimes are funny. There's hilarious memes out there. I love them. There's, there's some that are just quotations of Bible and, and real good scriptural doctrinal kinds of thoughts i've seen many christians post there's also a whole genre of memes that people copy and paste and uh, i'm not looking at anyone right now but <laughs> and uh, but the truth of the matter is they they are they sound good you've heard them other places before but it's just human philosophy and it's not that it's just empty it actually will it's like we're going to eat that philosophy and take it in thinking we're going to get something good out of that thought because it sounds good it has the appearance 
And then all of a sudden you realize, eh, there's nothing, there's no meat to it. There's no, there's no uh, nutrition in that kind of thinking. Uh, you know, um, this is why we need to know the truth of God's Word. This is why it's important to come to church and hear the teaching of the Word of God so we can compare the Word and what the Word says against these empty philosophies. Am I making sense? And that's why it's so important for us. You know, I'll give you an example, though. Like a couple weeks ago, I talked about the fact that we, we use this phrase a lot. You know, when one door uh, closes, another one opens. Thinking that that's some kind of scripture, but it's not. And we kind of blew that out of the water, didn't we? Right? Another example would be when, when people say this. And, and if you've said this before, forgive me, but, but people will say, everything happens for a reason. Once a guy said that to me, I walked up and slapped him on the face. He said, why'd you do that? I said, you tell me. <laughs> that didn't happen. But, but, you know, I feel like it sometimes. <laughs> but it's just not a true statement. Because it's implying that God's behind every rotten thing that happens, but there's some good reason. Listen, there's devilish, wicked, awful things that happen to us. God has no good reason behind it, but he has deliverance out of it. He has freedom out of it. He has hope for us out of it. So, so we gotta get, we got to separate in our minds. This is, you know, you think, oh, you know, I'm not getting too deep here. I'm not, this is not hard to do. This is just deciding I'm not going to buy into everything that's written just because it sounds good to me because I'm a human being. Because these are human philosophies. He goes on, Paul does, to say that according to the elemental spiritual forces of the world, it's like, wow, that's a mouthful. Usually this word elemental refers to basic elements as we would imagine, air, water, earth, etc., things like that. And then, but the philosophy that Paul is coming against is one that's based on natural things. In, so this is another, you get the human aspect, right, where other humans, but then there's these naturalistic-sounding philosophies, you know, um, Oh man, I could go on so many tangents. I gotta stay focused. See, help me, Jesus. Okay, so don't go there. I was just about to tell a stupid joke. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> all right. So, so, so the philosophy that he's coming against again is based on natural things. He'll review that later in a few verses later on. You'll see these words: do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Because he says what, what all this stuff is, these, these human ways of thinking, they're just shadows. They're, they're not the truth. They're based on human teaching. They have the appearance of wisdom. In other words, they make some sense, but they have no value. If we're hungry and we go to an empty cupboard and there's nothing there but a, sh uh, you know, it's empty, that's a, a shadow of the reality that could be there, right? We would have an expectation, but we are not fulfilled. So besides these human philosophies, he starts talking about these elemental spiritual forces. Now, this is a whole other category because there's an aspect of the demonic and there's an aspect of what Satan would do to confuse us and manipulate our thinking and warp our thinking into ways that are not right. And so there's these people have a way of sounding very spiritual at times, but the origin comes from the realm of the enemy. Of course, we could get into and dabble. No, this wouldn't be something I hope that anybody here gets into, but a lot of people and I've heard Christians do this, they get into astrology and they, they pay attention to what their sign is or what's, what the reading is or they re read books about that kind of stuff. I'm going to tell you, not only is that stuff just bunk, okay? It is demonic in origin and the Bible specifically teaches that. Don't see astrologers. Don't go to mediums. Don't go to people. Look, if, if you think there's validity in palm reading, let me tell you the truth. There is, but it's backed by the devil himself. 
If you think there's validity in astrology, there is validity, but it's not anything that's going to help us or make us better. It's only going to be something the devil's going to use to get inroads into our lives. So, so if, and by the way, if you ever come across something like this out there and you say, I don't know whether this is of God or not, just call me, all right? That's why God gave me to you. Just call me and I'll talk it through with you and I'll explain. So be careful, be careful out there, okay? So we, 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 when we try to add something to Jesus in terms of philosophy or ways of thinking or these other kinds of things, we come up short every single time. This is the problem. And instead of going to Jesus when we feel empty, we end up turning to other things that seem to offer fullness, don't we? I'll give you one more example, then I'll move on with the solution. We, for, for, you hear people talk about, I'm just looking in my life, usually younger people, but sometimes people that get older and, and uh, are single, and they'll say, I'm just looking for my soulmate. Okay? This is not godly thinking. This is, not, this is human thinking. This is, can I say to you that all the scripture about loving your spouse and, and all that the Bible has to say about, uh, about couples was written in a time when marriages were, were things that parents arranged for their kids? There was no looking for someone that was compatible. And you don't need to have sex with someone to find out if you're compatible. Forgive me, but the parts work. They just do. Okay? If I could just be real. Here's the thing, that idea that I'm looking for a soulmate. Listen, we just live in an era where we think, oh, I have a choice in the matter. That's awesome. But that is not what the Bible, when the Bible wrote the scriptures, or when it was written, these things were not true of mankind. There were no choices about who you were going to marry. But when you were in that marriage, guess what? They became your soulmate, according to the scripture. You're mated to them for life, according to the scripture. And I'm not taken away from the fact that there's been, you know, things that haven't worked out and abuses and, and I don't want to get into the whole thing of divorce and all that, but, but divorce is, is technically in the Bible, there's really one, perhaps two reasons for divorce. One is unfaithfulness by, by the other person, and so there is an opportunity if, if so led and and things can't be resolved for a person to get out of marriage. The only other one, according to Scripture, is perhaps that the unbelieving spouse decides to leave. And even in that, it isn't clear whether you even have the right to remarry at that point. It's just simply that you, 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 if that person chooses to leave, okay, I think you do have the right to remarry, but those are the only two examples in Scripture. So I'm just being real today. These are human ways of thinking. They've infiltrated our minds. They've infiltrated the church, but this is not what the Bible has for us. And, and thinking that there's, this person doesn't make me happy. There's just no promise in Scripture that says you're going to be happy. Now, God wants you to be happy. In fact, the word blessed is a derivative of happy. And so when, when God speaks about blessing us, there is an idea that he wants us to be happy, but there is no promise. So, so get over all that. And start to get, you know what? Sometimes you just got to work through stuff. You just got to work through it. So, so as human beings, we don't like feeling empty. We're looking to be full, but we're looking for shortcuts all the time. So here's the solution, which probably will present more problems, but bear with me. All right. The answer, really, in, in a nutshell, is to be captivated by Christ. To just be just all in for Jesus, <laughs> you know, to, to like, if we're captivated for something, we are focused on it. If, if, see, a lot of times, and I used to hear 
uh, preachers, and I, you know, they would say, why don't you, if, you want, if you're not a believer, why don't you invite Jesus to be, listen to the words, a part of your life? I hope you hear what's wrong with that statement. Because Jesus doesn't really want to be a part of someone's life. He, he either is our life, right? Or he's not. But he doesn't want to just be a part of your life. Now, I know what the guy was trying to say or the, the people that have said those things in the past. I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to lower the threshold. But I'm just going to tell you straight up, if you don't know Jesus, he doesn't want a part of you. He wants all of you, every bit, everything. He wants everything. But the, but the other side of that is the reward of that is, is beyond description. It's, it's worth it. It's what we were made for. And so, so we're focused on Jesus. We're captivated. We're not captivated by the elemental things out there. Remember back in, in chapter 2, verse 2, which we did last week, we see that in Christ, it says, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In, in, there's this treasure in Christ. So you say, well, if I give my life to Christ, he wants to take over. But inside Jesus, when you have Jesus, you also have all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And, and that's amazing, don't you think? So, so in that, we can grow in knowledge every single day. We can grow in wisdom. When we don't go to Jesus with our emptiness and fill our lives with other things, we come up short. Many times when people are quite young, and, and many of you may have done this before, when you were young, uh, I started down that road a little bit before I knew the Lord at age 15. Thank God I got saved when I did, or I really could have been a mess. But, but a lot of times when people are young people come along, uh, at an early age, they'll start experimenting with, with, they'll sneak some alcohol or sneak some drugs, and then they'll do things with their friends, and everybody's doing it, and, you know, and, uh, oh, it's legal, but not for you, you're underage, but, you know, you know what I'm saying, right? And so young people start to get, go this direction, and, and, um, they start to experiment with things. And it's not always true. Sometimes it's just experimenting. But many times, a lot of young people, the reason they go and gravitate towards that thing is because they're feeling some kind of pain in their lives, whether their, their parents' marriage is a mess, there's arguing and fighting all the time, or there's difficulty at school and relationships, a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend situation, somebody broke up with this and that, and, and somebody looked crossways at me. I'm not l making light of these things. I'm just saying, man, you get pain when you're in high school and junior high, right? Everybody's experienced this. Oh my goodness, what a, what a place. <laughs> that could be rough, you know, right? <laughs> Did anybody experience a hard time? I mean, I know there can be good times too, but my goodness. And so, so a lot of times the, in that pain, a person will gravitate towards something and when they get that little bit of drunkenness or a little bit of a high, all of a sudden that made that pain, kind, it kind of medicates the pain, right? And so this young person gets to a place where they go, well, that felt great, and I don't like the way I feel right now. And so they keep going back, and they keep going back. And before you know it, uh, that person becomes addicted. And uh, it's not only the substance that calls to them to, to drink again or smoke again or, or start to shoot up or take pain pills or whatever else, but, but it's the emptiness that they feel in their lives that in some cases can be worse to them than the, the, the things that they've faced before. It's just an emptiness that stays there. And I get this. I understand this more than you would think I would. I, don't, I try not to talk about this too much, but I've had terrible pain in my back for many years now. A lot of you know that. 
And when it first started happening, I went to the doctor and uh, we started looking at, you know, a lot of things that we could do, maybe some physical therapy, chiropractic. I, I had injections. I had, it doesn't matter. I had everything that you could possibly have and uh, nothing helped. We tried some different medications. All of them, uh, I shouldn't say all of them, some of them started out great, and then, but over time, they, the side effects became intolerable, for me anyway. And then uh, we moved on to, the, to the, probably the last level, which would be pain medication. And at first, it was just a little bit. And I will tell you, of all the things I did and tried, that was the one thing that I thought, here's, here's, here's my conclusion. It's misnamed. It wasn't pain medication. It was mind altering medication. And here's what I mean by that. I could tell I still hurt, but I didn't care. Now, now I was doing this under a prescription from a doctor. I wasn't, I wasn't going and buying it on the street. You did not have a pastor that was illegally buying drugs. I didn't do anything like that. In fact, one doctor said, you're not an addict, because I was concerned. He said, that would be the wrong term to use. Addicts will get it at any cost. But if you stay within your prescription, according to your doctor, but, you, but here's what you are, you're dependent. You're dependent on this medication, this pain medication. So I began with oxycodone uh, at, at five milligrams, and I would only take one a day. And for a little bit of time, for just a short while, I'd feel a little bit of relief, and I'd think, man, that feels good. I like that moment. I like how I feel then. I don't like how I feel the rest of the day. And even if it was a brief window of time, it felt good to have some relief. Are you with me? Am I going to be this real and talk about this? Now, I don't talk about this much, but I want to walk through this with you because, because over time, of course, all of that medication, uh, it, it, what happens is you build a tolerance to it, right? And so it was, a, it was a course of, oh, I don't know, probably seven, eight, nine years, I really kind of lost track. But by 2016, the end of the year, I was up to 60 milligrams a day of oxycodone, taking it all the time. And, um, and I was still pastoring, and I was still doing, I was functional, right? Okay. But at the same time, you know, you just began to realize, man, this is not good. This is not a good place to be. And then came the time in, in, in the late fall of 2016, I felt like the Holy Spirit just spoke to me and said, you just need to be done with that. And so I thought, and, and I'm going to be real. Whew, that was a lot of fear came in in that moment. When I thought I won't have that anymore, it was irrational fear, but it's, it's what that kind of stuff does to you. You become so dependent, you think, I can't live without this. But then I made this commitment. I said, okay, Lord. And so what I did is over a five-week period, a hellish, a very, oh my goodness, it was some of the worst days of my life. For five weeks, I began to wean myself slowly off from 60 down to zero. On Christmas Day of 2016, I took the last pill. And, and what I began to notice toward the end of that is, number one, the pain level I was at or thought I was at actually dropped in about half. Now, I'm still in pain, and it's miserable, but... but the, the drug itself was mimicking pain and calling for more. That was frightening. And I didn't even know that was happening to me. So, so then, then I, you know, I stopped taking those pills. And, uh, and you might say I went to the hokey pokey clinic and I turned myself around. <laughs> but here's another thing that comes out of that that I have to be just completely honest with you. And I hope this doesn't offend you or you think what a weak man stands before us as a pastor. Or not a day goes by, I don't wish I had one of those pills again. Not a day that I don't think about it. You think, oh, that's weird, that's odd. No, 
If you've never been in this position, do you understand what I'm saying? And I think, I think if you've been an alcoholic before, if you've been into deep drugs before and now you're free, you still think about it all the time. And young people, you think, ah, oh, it's okay, I'm young, I can experiment. Just talk to somebody who's been on the other side of that, way down the road and been stuck in it now and can't get free. Trust me when I tell you that it can eat your life away. And it can become, and even though everything I did was not illegal or, you know, technically wrong in any way, I still have this yearning in me every single day thinking, oh, if I could just take one right now, to feel that feeling for just a moment. Am I making sense? Is this okay? So, so I'm just saying that what happens, and this is just my personal example, but we get captivated by things that don't really fulfill us. We need to go to Jesus for the fullness we're looking for. Now, now I just want to also say, because somebody might be thinking, Jesus doesn't want Pastor Sal to be in pain. He doesn't. I know that. I have no problem praying for healing for other people. I know he's my healer. I don't know why I'm not healed, but I know God's not the problem. He's the solution. Please know that. This is, listen, this is another human philosophy is that, well, he's doing that for some reason that you haven't learned yet or something. That's just, that, if, if I treated my children like that growing up, you would throw me in jail for being a wicked father, of an abusive father, who would just continue to allow them to wallow in sickness and pain and never do anything about it if I had the power to do it. See, that, we're, we're putting that on God, aren't we? And that's a wicked philosophy. Scrub that from your mind. God is not the problem. He's the solution. There is a problem. And, and in my life, the problem is still there. But I'm telling you, He's the only solution. Where else am I going to go? If He's not the answer, if I think somehow it's His will for my life for me to be in pain, I'm at an impasse with God. I'm not sure I even want to serve Him. But I'm sure I want to serve Him because I know He's not the author of this. Wow, I'm getting on a tangent. But I'm feeling pretty good. You with me still? I just felt like I had to say that. So, so Jesus is the solution. He saves us. He makes us more like Himself. He's all we need. And remember that in Christ, again, all the fullness of God dwells. So turning to the Lord, turning to Jesus at those times is really the only thing that's going to bring the fulfillment and the truth that we need. John writes, this scripture is coming up on the screen here, in, and we used part of this verse a couple weeks ago, but I'm going, to, I'm going to bring it more out into what we say in verse 16 here. But we talk about the fact that the Word, Jesus, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. He's God. He is truly God. And He became uh, flesh and made His dwelling among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. Watch these words. Full. Everybody say full. Full of grace and truth. And out of His, say it with me, fullness, we have received grace in place of grace already given. You say, what is that about? Let me tell you. <laughs> See, Jesus is the only one who's really full, who has innate within him fullness. It's intrinsic to who he is. Jesus is the only one who is really complete. He has no needs. 
Just think about what would it have been like to have been Mary or Martha or, or Lazarus or any of the other disciples that had the opportunity to just sit at dinner with Jesus, sit at his feet like we sang about today and just listen and be there and to understand that all the fullness of God is in him. What would it be like? We think, like, is that even possible? Can I tell you for us it's possible every moment of every day? Just turn to him. He's right there. We need, when we need grace for living life, we, we might think that we've depleted grace, that we've worn it out, we've, we've used it up, our, you know, that God had like a bowl or a jar of grace, and, and you know, we came up, may I, may I have some grace, you know, and uh, yes, and he gave us a little portion, and we walked off, and, and now we've come to him so many times, and we, we picture in our mind that I've come to him, and he's, it's like I come, and he goes to that bowl to get, and there's nothing left. Do you, you don't think like that? I do. I feel like that sometimes. I think, Lord, I've worn you out with my sorries and my, my forgive me's and my I've done it again. I just I feel like I'm wearing him out. And you and I may use grace, but, but what the Lord is doing, <laughs> this is so fun, he's giving us grace in place of grace already given. So he, he gets into his bowl of grace, and here you go. And if you could see into the bowl, you go, oh, <laughs> it's full again. Because all the fullness of God dwells in him. It's just perfect. You see, it's not out of our own supply, but out of his fullness that we are resupplied every day, every single moment of the day. You and I use up some grace, and then he gives us more grace. It's, listen, let me explain grace for just a moment. Grace is not a cover-up for sin. That's not what grace is. That's not what it, it, Jesus' blood took care of the sin problem. All right? The, the, the sin's already taken care of. Grace is the power to overcome sin and live for God. So it's like, I need, I need help, Lord. I'm, I'm falling short. And he says, here, here you go. Here's grace that you need. And then it's resupplied. And it never runs out. As one blessing from God is used, a fresh one is there to take its place over and over and over again. See, as humans, we don't wrap our minds around limitlessness. Uh, did I say that right? Yeah, <laughs> very well. We're prone to, to, to place limits on everything because we live in a world of limitations, don't we? But, but the fact is, is that Jesus has a limitless supply. And we who are in Christ can have that as well. We can be full. Man, I have a whole other sermon here. How are we doing? For a guy that didn't think he was going to make it very far, I'm, I really said more than I meant to say. Is that okay? We okay for a couple more minutes? All right. I, I really am pretty close. When, when someone says, uh, uh, negatively says of another person that they're full of something, it's not generally a compliment, right? <laughs> we all have this innate desire, I think, from God that, that, that we desire to be full and have fullness, but we end up filling our lives with the other things. It's not, not the right things. And so, so what comes out of us is what makes people say we're full of it. Right? So, so let me give you some examples quickly. We become self-focused and egotistical, and we fill our lives with ourselves. Don't look at me like that, okay? And so when we begin to communicate with other people, we pour out pride and arrogance, because we're full of ourselves, 
Or we become hurt and bitter. We fill our lives with thoughts of revenge and reprisal. So when we have interactions with other people, we pour out anger and hostility toward others. Not even the people who wronged us. We, we try to fill our lives with, with sex, and, and then we end up becoming users of other people. We try to fill our lives with drugs and alcohol. We become uh, shells of human beings who have nothing to give and everything to take. We try to fill our lives with material things like money, wealth, possessions, and we end up selfish and self-absorbed. Is this, any of this connecting? Anytime we try to fill our lives with anything but the right thing, it will turn sour and become an aberration. We can tell what we're full of by what's coming out of our mouths. Jesus said that. That's not human philosophy. He said, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And if you hear fear and judgment and prejudice and anger, and you hear your own mouth spewing junk, that means you're not full of the Lord. And there's other stuff in there that needs to be out so Jesus can fill us all in all. Amen? Amen. Worship band, come on back up. We're meant to be full, but not with the things of this world. Agreed? If we find our fullness in Christ, then we can not only be full for ourselves, but then we can start to operate out of that fullness for others' sake. So in our interactions with others, we are the ones helping them to be filled up because we're so full. And it overflows, doesn't it? Does that make sense? And we might ask, is this even possible? Look at this passage with me, John 10.10. It says, the thief, that's the devil, he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that they might have life. Is there more to it? Is it just life, or what kind of life is he talking about? Well, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus doesn't want us to just have a mediocre, mamby-pamby life. He wants us to have a full and a rich life. Life to the full. Who doesn't want that? This is how we can be a blessing to others because Jesus is, gives us a life that's full. That's why He came. This is what He came to do. I want to read one more passage to you from Ephesians. This, to me, parallels the passage that we read earlier from Colossians. Paul, again, is speaking to a different church, but the theme is very similar. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, holy people, holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be... Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> what, wasn't that an amazing bunch of stuff there? Did you, did you grasp what he is praying and what, what God's desire for you and me is? He wants all those things to be true of us. But the words that you may say to us, there's a reason for all the stuff that just was said, and here comes the reason. Are you seeing that? And what is the thing he wants? That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Come on. Mind blown. Right? 
It's God's desire. It's His will for us to be filled with the measure of all. Say all again. All His fullness. We can't do it in our own strength. But when Jesus fills us to the brim, then we can overflow to other people who are thirsty for more, who are hungry for more, who are empty inside and don't know why and don't know the answer, but we have the fullness of Christ that we can begin to pour out. It isn't just that we would be full to the top, but that we would be full to overflowing. Out of your bellies, the Bible says, will come rivers of living water. Living water for all. And even though we all still sin and mess up and have pain in our lives, we can still feel complete and full because it depends on His grace, not our ability. And His grace is sufficient. Let's stand. <laughs> and rather than being those who are full of excuses, may we be those who are full of grace in exchange for grace that's already been used. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to Praise Center Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.